0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Hey, welcome in, everybody. Hope you survived Valentine's Day. What a racket that thing is. And we're back. Flagship podcast Okay, so listen, we, we had kind of a crazy week last week. Of course, we, Taylor Estes, managing editor of Horns 24-7. Taylor, how you doing?
2: I'm doing great, Chip. How about you?
1: I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Doing okay.
2: Yeah. Not a yeah. good Valentine's Day?
1: Oh, I spent it with my 83-year-old dad. Doc Brown? Doc Brown. <laughs> I moved him down here. We're getting him settled in. He spilled his box wine all over his apartment. Uh, That was bad. He was in a bad mood yesterday. I was running around getting him some new box wine and getting the housekeeping crew to come in and clean up after him. But hey, that is irrelevant. How was your Valentine's Day?
2: Oh, I mean, it was fine. You know, I've never been the type that has been a big Valentine's Day person. So, you know, we don't really do much of anything. I mean, Good. I cooked dinner and that was it. Yeah.
1: Good. That's way it should be.
2: That's yeah. Right. I don't get into that corporate racket of right. a stupid holiday. It's like, yeah. I love myself I enough. I don't need other else. people to tell me how much they love me.
1: Right. <laughs> Thank you. Why do I need someone else telling me when I need to tell someone I love them? Yeah. Please. Okay. So if you missed it, we had unbelievable podcast with Chris Del Conte last week was kind of crazy week. So we got it out late and then it was a holiday weekend. If you're listening to this right now and you did not listen to our podcast with the exclusive interview with Chris Del Conte, everyone, and I mean everyone, even our competitors are complimenting us on this interview we did with Chris Del Conte. So go check that out right after you listen to this version of the uh, flagship podcast.
2: Yeah, it's a must, a must listen. I mean, he was, you know, Crystal Conte is such a personable type of person to begin with. So, you know, he can get he can get a whole room of people engaged into what he is saying. But we got a lot of good stuff from him. Chip, you asked him a lot of hard questions, including about his expectations for Tom Herman in year four of his tenure at Texas um, after rebuilding the staff. So I definitely think, Texas fans or not, you should definitely tune into our interview from last week's episode with Crystal Conte.
1: Yeah, and take advantage of all these um, incredible opportunities we've been giving you to become an annual member of Horns247.com so that you get the VIP content on every team site in the 24-7 network. I mean, it's an unbelievable deal. And... You'll just have so much fun. I mean, it's if you're a college football fan, this is you're in the right place. We got you, we got you covered. All right, so Taylor, let's start with the good news first. Like Texas softball.
2: Whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, hold on, Chip. Before we move on to that, you left our listeners last week hanging with um, what seemed to be almost a rant about how Ed Orgeron at LSU made a terrible hire in hiring former uh, Dallas Cowboys assistant and uh, now passing game coordinator at LSU, Scott Linehan, in replacement of um, Joe Brady. So I'm really curious, Chip. You know, you can't tease our listeners and not get back to that. So what's going on with your thoughts on Scott Linehan?
1: That's why Taylor is such a good managing editor at Horns 24-7 because she has got that just the right amount of OCD, (laughs) and I'm ADD. I'm all over the place, I'm big picture, so she is uh always reeling reeling me back in, which is was perfect. I did, I did rant at the end. So here's my take on the hire by Ed Ordron of Scott Linehan, uh, to be the passing game coordinator at LSU. He's no Joe Brady, and when I say that I mean it from an ego standpoint. Um Joe Brady was like a quality control guy for for the saints under Sean Payton. And, and he came in and he, you know, incorporated the saints offense and, and it was beautiful. It worked with Joe Burrow. Um, Scott Linehan is an egomaniac. maniac. Uh, and I don't mean to, let me just say that I covered the Cowboys for three years. I still have sources in the building because Jerry Jones is still the owner, so I still have sources in the building. And I talked to a couple different sources who said Scott Linehan was as hard to deal with from an ego standpoint as you'll find. And I'll just leave it at that. Now, Ed Orgeron has to hope that Steve Ensminger and Scott Linehan have some special kind of friendship or relationship that's not going to become an ego battle because this sort of reminds me of when Orgeron hired um, what Matt Canada, the guy who was the interim coach at Maryland, mm-hmm. uh, and beat Tom Herman in year two, but uh, Orgeron fired him like mid-year of his uh, first year at LSU. I I don't have a good feeling about this at all. So on top of the fact that you're replacing Joe Burrow with an inexperienced quarterback, which is going to frustrate Scott Linehan because unless uh, LSU just uh, either grabs someone out of the portal, they're probably going to be starting a quarterback with no starting experience. And that's not that, that doesn't suit Scott Linehan. Scott Linehan is an NFL guy. So he's not like a build
2: build the quarterback up from the ground type of guy.
1: He hasn't dealt with a college quarterback in 15 years. It's kind of the way we talked about Todd Orlando, how he always had veteran linebackers the last 10 plus years and then seemed to get frustrated having to work and develop young linebackers, even to the point of possibly altering his scheme to that, you know, playing the ends in the fore eye and. That ended up being his undoing. So,
2: right. I'm just so saying. Are you saying. Are you saying basically Texas fans should be excited about this hire since uh, Texas faces LSU in week two of this upcoming
1: season? Yes. And I said last year it would not shock me if LSU won in Austin and Texas went to Baton Rouge and won because Joe Burrow would be moving on and a bunch of like high level NFL talent like Caleb on, chase on Grant Delpit, they're all gone. So this is going to be a great opportunity for Tom Herman in this Texas Longhorns uh, team because you got the defending national champion, but they're replacing a lot of holes, including their offensive, well, whatever, passing game coordinator and defensive coordinator. So I know Ed Orgeron could call that defense and no problem, but Scott Linehan, I think, is a problem. I think this is going to be a great opportunity for Texas on September 12th.
2: All right, Texas fans, you heard it first here. No doubt about that. Um, you know, Chip, let's, let's kind of move to some other positive news going on uh, the 40 acres right now. Let's start with Texas softball. I mean, my goodness, the, the Longhorns are off to an undefeated 10-0 and start to the season. And I, I saw this stat over the weekend, Chip, and I was absolutely blown away. But through 10 games, Texas softball has outscored opponents 100-11. to I mean, I mean, that's they, like 10 they, to one per game on average. <laughs> well, they
1: they run ruled number 12, Tennessee, mm-hmm. uh, 11 to nothing. And they called it in the fifth inning. And that, that catapulted the Texas softball team to number two in the nation. Yeah. So this is exciting. I mean, this is, a, this is a team that's built to win. This is a team under Mike White. Amazing. In what year two mm-hmm. that, you know, and he was able to bring some of his highest level talent from Oregon to Texas, but this is a team that can contend for the national championship. I mean when you talk about Miranda Elish on the mound and um, all the veteran experience that they have uh, everywhere, and they've got great hitting I mean they're batting four ninety one with runners in scoring position, so they're it when they need it most, they're delivering right. And they're off to that great start. I mean, you know this, Taylor. Your dad played for the Miracle Mets. Your brother was drafted in the first round by the Detroit Tigers. Baseball is so mental. Oh, yeah. It's about confidence, about confidence in the field. Just every ball looks like a beach ball coming at you, no problem. Field it, throw it over to first, whatever. And then in the batter's box, confidence. You see the ball. You're, You're making clean contact. You're putting pressure on the other team man this team's off to a great start and they're gonna be fun to watch we may be covering more uh more games over at McCombs Field this year
2: (laughs) yeah for real and you're so right about what the way the baseball is you know the the game of baseball is such a lot of times a mental game as well you know um I mean, I always kind of would make fun of my dad and brothers like, oh, you guys just must be the biggest head cases if you're good at baseball, because it kind of kind of plays out that way a lot. But, you know, I think back to that 69 team that my dad was on ever, you know, the one game where things really started rolling for the Mets after it was the infamous black cat stare down of the Cubs bench. And if you talk to any of those players, I mean, I was at the 69 Mets uh, reunion this past summer and they did a video tribute and in the video tribute i believe it was uh Wayne Garrett who said uh once that black cat stare down happened uh they just started rolling it was almost like something little like that kind of got the team like okay so we got this like it, we even had the luck in our favor with a black cat going on the field <laughs> against the cubs and then they end up going to the world series but you know, yeah, I think that baseball and softball too is such a mental sport and really just, you know, um, capitalizing on the type of momentum that you can gain in wins and big-time wins like Texas softball is doing is huge. I mean, it's, you can only shake somebody's confidence by disrupting it, and nobody's disrupting Texas' confidence right now.
1: Yeah. No, it's exciting. And Texas baseball – oh, and our guest on the uh, flagship podcast this week – Matt Weaver from our Indiana Horns 24-7 site, PEGS, P-E-E-G-S dot com, will be joining us in, to talk about Mark Hagan, uh, the new uh, defensive tackles coach at Texas, and we'll get uh, all the latest on Mark Hagan. Interesting story, considering he used to coach with Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M, and his family stayed in College Station when he went up to Indiana to become co-defensive coordinator, and so uh, we'll we'll get into that it's a it's an interesting story, but Texas baseball Taylor got off to a nice start, three and0 sweep of rice. Now, both teams unranked let's let's mm-hmm. not you know let's not put them in Omaha quite yet. I, I said Burks, I think this, a little bit <laughs> right? But <laughs> I, mean, I think this team's gonna struggle. They're gonna have some ups and downs. But they're playing at home this week. They got UTSA tonight, Lamar tomorrow, and they had She's some struggles yeah. Lamar last year. And then Boise <laughs> at home. And uh, But the young guys, you wanted to see how they'd hold up. Trey Faltini, Brendan Dixon, um, Pete Hansen, Andre Duplantier, and they all came through big time. And Austin Todd doing a nice job leading off, Duke Ellis. In the two holes, so uh, yeah, it's exciting. Okay, so there's the good news. Should we take a question?
2: Yeah, for sure. So last week on the flagship podcast, when we had Cristel Conte on, you know, in addition to talking about his expectations for the football team in 2020 and moving forward after Tom Herman's staff uh, overhaul, he discussed some of the stadium renovations going on with that 175 million dollar project to renovate the south end zone of a Royal Memorial stadium with that, the South end zone also hosts was the host of Moncrief new house, which is where all the football facilities were. The weight room is there, the former locker room that Texas just renovated in 2017. um, When Tom Herman was hired, they demolished that redid the entire thing to kind of get up to speed with the new locker room trend being, you know, this extravagant type of setting Um, almost spa-like setting. But then less than three years later, Texas is now renovating the whole thing. So with that said, the question um, we got from one of our Horns 24-7 members is, did Texas completely demolish the new locker room that Tom Herman had renovated in 2017? And that question is from Ray Horn 14.
1: Okay, so Ray Horn 14, the answer is no. They did not completely demolish the new locker room. They uh have taken the those patented ventilated super cool do everything but give you a massage lockers <laughs> with all the lights and screens they took those out and they're probably going to put them back in to this uh renovated locker room now they're they've torn it down to the studs so the locker room is is going to be sort of uh, it's just going to be renovated. The the structure of the locker room will remain the same. And I think the lockers are going back in, but they are touching up some things and the weight room is gone. Like that's, that's gone. It's over in uh, the rec center. If you read the eyes of Texas last weekend, if you're not a member at horns, 24 seven, you want to become an annual member, for the eyes of Texas, the insider notes package every week. We, we try to get you the, the news before anyone else. And yeah, the weight room, the Dr. Nasser Al Rashid weight room is over in the rec center. It's on one of the basketball courts. So, uh, the locker room has been gutted, but not demolished. And the lockers are, are being preserved.
2: I mean, I I don't understand why they wouldn't be. Those things, they were just, you know, brought into the locker room before the 2017 football season. These are, I I believe that they were $8,700 a piece. And they're state-of-the-art type of lockers. I mean, it's... They
1: had patents that, like, were brand new at the time.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's, they had probably well, I mean, definitely well over a million dollars in lockers alone that are just two years old. I mean, my goodness, I would hope that they would <laughs> keep those. But hey, when you're able to spend $175 million just to renovate a portion of your football stadium, you probably aren't thinking about the $1 million lockers that are going back in there.
1: Yeah, and it'll be $200 million when it's all said and done.
2: Gotcha. Before we get to our guest, Matt Weaver, who uh, has covered Mark Hagan, the, the final... Um, addition to Tom Herman's staff rebuild at Texas as a defensive line coach. He'll be joining Oscar Giles for Oscar to coach defensive ends, Mark Hagan to coach defensive tackles. Now, we had our opportunity to speak to the assistant coaches recently after, they were, after Tom Herman's staff was complete. And Mark Hagan, I actually asked him, you know, it's been a while since Texas has had two defensive line coaches. That was something that they did have when Mack Brown was around. But um, since then, you know, there's always just kind of been wasn't a defensive ends or tackles. It was just defensive line coach. Now, Texas is going to have two coaches on the defensive line. And I asked Mark Hagan, you know, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of having two voices in the room? Here's what he had to say. It's been a while since Texas has had two defensive line coaches. Uh, How much of an advantage does that give? Is it ever a disadvantage having two different voices coaching? Well,
3: I think number one, Oscar and I just have to be on the same page terminology wise because sometimes you bounce guys in and out. You know, maybe your bigger ends on third down pop inside different packages. So we've got to be in sync, which we will. Uh, But I think it just gives you more specialized coaching because people can't just assume, hey, the ends are the same as the tackles. There's things that the defensive ends see from a you know, from a zone read standpoint, there's different plays on the perimeter that they've got to defend. Um, likewise, inside, there's different blocks that the interior guys, the three technique, the nose will see. So, um, so yeah, there's times that we'll be together and, and, and we'll be you know, installing and, and, and presenting as one, but there's a lot of the time, whether it's out of practice and individual drills or when we're watching the video that we'll break up just so we get the more specialized coaching. So been involved with both systems. Both systems work, uh, but, but I'm certainly excited to be working with
1: Oscar. Good question, Taylor.
2: <laughs> Thanks, good Chip. Good
1: answer. That. Yeah. You know it's a good question when you get a good answer. Exactly. So. Eight.
2: Can type of answer,
1: yeah. No, that's good. That's good. It's, uh, yeah. Tom Herman decided he had six offensive coaches and four defensive coaches. He decided when he uh, shuffled his staff well, replaced seven of -hmm. his on field uh, coaches to have five defensive assistants and five offensive assistants, Mm -hmm. thus, Mark Hagan. Is now the defensive tackles coach and Oscar Giles the defensive ends coach. And we should say, of course, another reason you listen or, or read at horns247.com is um we told you about the hiring of the analysts. Dave Huxtable is a defensive analyst. Everett Withers, the former Texas assistant, former Texas State head coach. Uh, and long-time NFL assistant coach Everett Withers as an offensive analyst, and Corby Meekins, who had coached tight ends and inside receivers for Tom Herman. Um, Really, well, he was with Tom Herman the last five years, but he's going back to Houston with Dana Holgerson to coach tight ends and inside receivers. So uh, some more nuggets for you.
2: So one thing, Chip, that I'm still kind of – You know, I I understand if this is the logic behind it a little bit, but it was a little surprising to me that Everett Withers was being hired as an offensive analyst, considering his expertise has always been on defense. I mean, that was, you know, I, I, I know, you know, sometimes they'll hire defensive analysts for maybe offensive side of the ball to see what you know, other defenses are presenting to the offense, but it just seemed kind of weird to me when, when I heard that, I was like, wait, what are, are we sure well, this is know, right? It, you know, you know.
1: <laughs> uh, Everett Withers is being brought in so that while the game plan, offensive game plan, is being formulated, he can provide input uh, based on what he's seeing from the opponent's defense as to if what is going into the offensive game plan is going to create the most um Advantage for the Texas offense or or not he's going to be in there basically um, You know as a voice saying Okay, let me tell you that's not as good as you think it is or I've watched the film of this defense. They're going to be able to they're gonna be able to track that down What about that this this always gave me problems or This would I would think would give this defense the most problems. So um good Good for Tom Herman. I mean, he he coached with Everett Withers at Ohio State uh, for two years in twelve and thirteen before Chris Ash got there, and and of course Everett Withers was also at Texas when Herman was a GA there under Mac Brown. So they have a history that goes way back, and and Tom Herman trying to make sure that um, you know they sort of take the game plan for a test drive in their own meeting room before uh before they take it out to the practice field
2: yeah i mean that makes sense for sure and and we'll get to some more of our horns 24 7 member questions coming up in addition to including actually um what the heck is going on with texas basketball and where shaka smart's future lies so you'll want to stick around for that but Right now, Chip, let's bring in our special guest, um, Matt Weaver of Pigs.com, for an exclusive inside look into what Texas is getting in defensive tackles coach Mark Hagan.
1: We figure we've got to go to the expert uh, to get some information on Mark Hagan, the new um, defensive tackles coach for the Texas Longhorns. So why not uh, go to the man who covers Indiana football for our Indiana site, Matt Weaver. Matt, how you doing?
0: I'm doing
1: okay. How are you guys? Hey, we're uh we're making it down here. We try to keep football season alive, probably um the way you keep basketball season alive all year up there. Um but uh just some thoughts on on Mark Hagan. He was the co-defensive coordinator there at Indiana. What kind of um coach was he? How I mean, obviously he's a he's a former IU football player, really productive player at IU. Uh, tell us a little bit about Mark Hagan.
0: Well, I mean, first off, I mean, I, I, Coach Hagan is one of the guys that I was fortunate enough to get to know really well. I can call him a good friend, so uh, coming from that point of view. But as a coach, uh, intense guy, um, you know, really coaches his guys hard, you know, loves them. And, 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 and uh, but, you know, he, he's, he's a black and white guy when it comes to football. He, he wants guys who love football. You know, he wants guys that when they're on the field, they bust it. They give them everything they've got, you know, when they're out there. And, and if you do that, you'll be fine with Mark Hagan. I mean, he did a good job. Uh, he's done a good job, really, at everywhere he's been. Um, he's, you know, played linebacker at IU. He's coached linebacker some, but it's mainly been a D-tackles or D-line coach here recently in his career. Uh, good recruiter. Uh, was always a strong recruiter at Indiana and the other places he's been. Uh, from his time down there at AM and uh, before he was at IU with A&M and came back, uh, has some recruiting connections i think he told me recruits he recruited the dallas area um you know so there'll be some of those connections down there for him and uh but he's a good recruiter good personal guy players like him um you know he, he takes recruiting really personally uh which i think is that i think a lot of coaches who are good at it they take it personally it's a, it's really important to them they you know i mean not that all guys don't work hard but he really it's a it's a big deal and he uh, you know, he's a very detail-oriented guy. Um, I think he'll feel in great. I think he'll do a good job, and I think Texas made a heck of a hire.
1: Uh, talking to Matt Weaver from our Indiana 247 site, com. Great site. Um, it is uh, absolutely the go-to site for all things Indiana Hoosiers. And, of course, if you're not uh, an annual member at Horns247, become an annual member so you can get – Uh, all the VIP content at great sites like peaks.com Matt, what um, you know, talk about if this was a difficult decision for him and why you think he made this decision.
0: Yeah, I think it was, I mean, he really, he's close with, um, you know, remember when he, when he came back, first off, when he came back, Kevin Wilson was actually still the coach here and uh, Tom Allen, he was, he came in right around the same time as Tom Allen and Tom Allen was brought in to be the DC and they had a, they had a relationship. Tom Allen was a high school coach here in Indiana at Ben Davis, which is one of the bigger uh, football programs in the state. Um, uh, Mark Hagan recruited that school when he was at other places. So they had a relationship and and I think it was a tough decision, but you know, his, his, he's got four daughters. Um, his oldest daughter went to A&M and graduated, I think last year. And she's working at a hospital in Florida, and then he's got three more daughters. And just where they were at in their lives when he left to come back to Indiana, uh, they didn't—they didn't want to move. So his wife stayed down in College Station with their with their daughters, so they could continue. They were in activities that were really important to them that they maybe wanted to do in college, and to uproot them would really kind of, you know, really kind of wreck that. So. It was tough it's, I know you know talking to him when, when we, you know we just didn't talk about football stuff and we would talk about families and I've got four kids too so he, he it was tough on him getting back to his family and being away from him and obviously Austin I didn't realize this you know I'm not a you know, didn't know much about Texas but Austin's actually a lot closer to college station than I realize it's less than two hours away so he'll be able to get down there be close to his family um, you know and obviously Texas is a great program you know I think the majority of this was probably made for family reasons but this is a chance to you know he's basically been a Midwest guy, except for the few years he worked for Kevin Sumlin at A&M. He's been at Northern Illinois, Purdue, and Indiana. So this is a chance to kind of expand your roots a little bit more. I'm sure he'd like to be a D coordinator, or a full time D coordinator, and maybe possibly have a chance at a head coaching job one day. And this is the kind of thing I think that looks good on your resume. But I think a big part of it was the family, the family atmosphere. Just you know, it was really tough being away from his wife and kids and trying to make that work. The distance in between them and. You know, a college coach—they don't—they're not at home that much, anyways. And then when you talk about your—you know—hundreds of miles away, it makes it just way, way more difficult. So, I'm happy for him. I hate to see him go, but you guys are getting a good one, and I think you'll love working with him.
1: So, um, yeah, and that makes total sense. My gosh, that—that's quite the sacrifice that that they've been making um, since he's been up at Indiana uh, in what from 26, starting in uh, February of. Of 2016 and that was his second stint uh at indiana after being there uh in 2011 and 2012 what um as far as recruiter you said he's a good recruiter any any notable recruitments that that you point to
0: well i mean obviously you know what you know how you guys recruit down there. It's obviously on a different level than Indiana. Indiana's getting better at recruiting, but they're not. You know, it, you know, to get a really good three-star who might just be below the four-star, that would be a lot of times that's a that's a top recruit in Indiana's class. They're improving, yeah. but it's still you know you guys are getting the four and five-star guys, and I think he'll be fine doing that. He recruited those at A and M and I think he'll have no problem doing that. He's got, like I said, connections down there. I don't know how much he recruited Chicago. That was one of his recruiting areas up here. I don't know how much they're going to send him up here. Um, and then he also recruited the state of Indiana, being an Indiana guy. All the coaches recruited Indiana, but for him it was a big part of it just because of his connections here in Indiana. So um, I think he'll do a good job. I mean, he got he got some four-star D linemen, which is Indiana. Bo Robbins, from who was actually from his high school, but uh, other schools were really hot and heavy after him. It was a tough recruitment. He got him, and – um you know, he's gotten some other D-line. And, you know, it, D-line to me is one of the hardest positions for a school like Indiana to recruit because there's just not a ton of those got really good ones. Yeah. And so most of them go to the bigger schools like a Texas or Alabama or name the big school. So he 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 does a good job, like I said, recruiting. He does a great job. He was in on a lot of guys. Signed The D-line when he came in was arguably the weakest position on the roster. Um, it was just it was in poor shape. The guy that was here before him had only been here for a couple years. He was let go, and a great guy, but just just did not do a good job in, what, three recruiting classes, basically. The D-line is probably one of the top two or three positions on the roster now. It's really strengthened. It's a young position, but there's a lot of talent there. I think it's got a chance to be really good, and a, and a big part of that um, is because of Mark Hagan. I think he's done a great job, uh, you know, really – uh, building that position up, and, and you know, the guy who walks into it's walking into, which is now, we've been announced, Kevin Peoples from Tulane, he's walking into a really good position group because of Mark Hagan.
1: Uh, talking to Matt Weaver from our Indiana 247 site, peegs.com. And, Matt, um, Mark's a bit of a legend at, at IU as a player, right? Led the team in tackles three straight years, is fifth all-time uh, on the – on the career tackles list and, uh, is from Carmel, Indiana. Just talk about him as a linebacker and a player there at Indiana. Kind of like he is
0: as a coach. You know I mean? I was, I was, I, I'm old enough to remember him as a player. So I'm kind of dating myself, but, um,
1: <laughs> I'm right there really with really
0: intense guy, uh, played on some really good teams. played under Bill Mallory. and You know, Bill Mallory was an old school coach, you know, came from like the Woody, he- Woody Hayes coaching tree, his favorite saying was lock your jaw. I mean, you know, he was the one that really was the first guy to really, really get Indiana going and Mark Hagan and and the guys that he played for were a big part of it. They, they played tough. They were hard. Indiana was hard to play against back then and football was different, obviously the way teams played, but just a super intense guy, a really good player. And uh, you know what, actually he was a part of the last bowl win that Indiana's had, which was, you know, in 1991. So it's been a while um, since they've had a bowl victory and he was a part of that and, you know, did a great job. And and then he's really, he just carried it over and and probably one of those guys. I didn't know him obviously back then, but one of those guys that I would say people probably looked at and said, he'll be a coach one day, just a smart player, um, gritty, tough and, and uh, a heck of a player. And he's, he's obviously parlayed that into a a terrific coaching career.
1: What, uh, what did he say about his time at Um, A&M?
0: You know, I, I didn't talk to him a ton about that. I mean, you know, he went. I think one reason why he went down there, like I said, when he left to go to A and M, he had only been in the Midwest. Like I said, Northern Illinois, Purdue, and then Indiana. Um, and I think it was a chance to just, you know, at some point you've got to kind of get out of your comfort zone. I think as a coach, or just maybe in any in any industry, you got to try to, if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to move up and 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 maybe reach the places you want to go. And I think that's what he saw. And plus, Kevin Sumlin and him knew each other from Purdue. Kevin Sumlin's an Indianapolis guy who played at Purdue. And they were on the staff there under Joe Tiller um, and developed a friendship. And so I just thought, I think it was a chance for him to go down there. And I think it was great for his career. Like I said, he'd only kind of recruited one kind of area in the Midwest. Now you get to go down to Texas. You're getting recruiting against in Purdue. Obviously it was really good when he was there with Drew Brees and all those guys, but now you're recruiting against some big boys. You're kind of in the deep end of the pool, not only in competition, but also in, um, in recruiting. So you know, I think it was good for him and, and, uh, I think it really helped him. And then I think the chance to come back and coach with Tom Allen and then I think he had a, he wanted to coach with Kevin Wilson was something that he really, um, he really couldn't pass on. And like I said, b- between the family and maybe a chance to kind of expand his horizons again, this opportunity came along and, and he jumped at it.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned the, the time at Purdue, um, cause he, he spent a good amount of time there with, with Joe Tiller, um, you know that I don't know how common that is to to be at both Purdue and Indiana, but um, probably about as common as being at both Texas and Texas A and M. But um, that time on that Purdue staff, uh, just uh, any anything he said about that.
0: Well, you know, I mean, I always used to kid him because he was an IU guy, and obviously, it's a big rivalry. It's it's you know the schools don't like each other. The you know, you just kind of grow up, uh, if you're an IU fan, you don't like Purdue and vice versa. So, But he told me, he was like, you know what, Matt, I had a family. I had young children. And, you know, Purdue offered, you know, it was a lot more money. And he said, I had to put away that part of my kind of uh, my thinking and think about my family, which I respect. When you have kids like I do, you know, I feel the same way. So, you know, it was – they obviously they had a great run. I went to a Rose Bowl, had a lot of wins. He was also the special teams coordinator there. He's got some of that experience. I don't know how much they'll will that – that'll be used out in Texas, but he's a guy who's done a great job uh, coordinating special teams. And, you know, if he's involved in that, he'll definitely be an asset for the Longhorns. But, uh, uh, you know, just that's when, he, you know, that's when I first noticed him as a recruiter because he brought in, I mean, he brought in like a Ryan Kerrigan, uh, some other guys that are, um, that are in the NFL for Purdue. If you go through the list and I can't think about of the top of my head, but there's guys that are in the NFL that he recruited to, uh, to Purdue and coached them up and turned them into some really good to, uh, really good professional players. And, uh that's when I first noticed his recruiting ability and it's just carried over And You know, while I kid him about it, um, you know, he did a great job there and obviously Purdue was fantastic during that time under Joe Teller for a number of years. And, and Mark Hagan was a huge, huge part of that.
1: Any, um, any other anecdotes about Mark Hagan that, uh, fans at Texas would be interested to know, um, anything at all from, uh, a- you know nicknames to other anecdotes in terms of who he knows and who he's coached with, and
0: um, I don't know if he's got any nicknames. If he does, he, that I haven't been told those. He's just, <laughs> um, you know, he's just he's a stand-up guy. Um, you know, he, he's very, like I said, he's very black and white. He's kind of old school that way. I mean, you know, he's one. Of the, he's a guy that if you are out at the practice field and he's at the other end of the field, um, you'll hear him he's got a booming voice. You'll, you'll, you'll be like, who's that? And you'll realize it's Mark Hagan. You know, he pushes his guys. Like I said, he's, 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 you know, he coaches them hard, but I think they love him. And, you know, I think guys appreciate that, that you know where you stand with Mark Hagan. If you work hard and you do what you're supposed to and you bust it and bring it every day, uh, you'll be fine. You know what I mean? And obviously the talented, the better guys are going to play, but if you give him what you got, he'll find a role for you and he'll try to maximize your ability. And if you got next level ability, I mean, you know, he coached Miles Garrett at A&M. And I obviously know he's got the controversial thing in the NFL, but he's a heck of a player. I yep. think there's no doubt about that. So uh, wow. if you've got the ability, he'll get you to the next level.
1: Matt, great stuff. Um, what uh, what's your take on what's going on at Michigan State?
0: Well, you know, it's obviously, it's been a messy situation up there, and um, you know, the whole D'Antonio thing, it's just been, it's just really weird. It's one of those things, you know, it kind of reminds me in a way, not totally, but the whole, and it's, when I say it's kind of an apples-oranges, but when you let a coach get as powerful as these guys have gotten at Michigan State, him and Izzo, it kind of reminds me of the night situation where no matter how you split up, it's going to be messy. Now, he's staying around and getting a job, so it's obviously not a terrible divorce, but it sounds like he kind of chose this time to, to resign, to kind of stick it to him. I mean, it couldn't have been a worse time the night before the second signing day. Mm. Basically, you know, all the coaches are pretty much, all the jobs are pretty much filled and somebody was going to get, somebody was going to get, you know, (laughs) let's face it, screwed. And it was Colorado and Michigan state threw a bunch of money at Mel Tucker. And, and they got him and I don't blame Mel Tucker for taking the job, but I thought the way he handled it was really poor. Um, you know, I don't think you go out in public and tell people you're committed while your agents negotiating with another school. But I don't blame him for doubling the salary. If somebody doubled my salary, I would leave too. Um, you know, I can't blame him for that, but I just don't think the way he handled it. I think Michigan State, I think they got scared. The fickle turned him down. They they I think they approached uh, Matt Campbell at Iowa State. He turned it down and I think they threw a ton of money to the guy and it worked. And I mean, hey, in today's world, if you're five and seven and one year as a coach and you can get, you could be, I think he's now the seventh highest paid coach in the country. I could be wrong on that. Hey, kudos to you. I mean, you guys have a heck of an agent you must be a heck of a salesman because that's, that's phenomenal. So, you know, it's kind of a mess. Uh, You know, a lot of people are looking down on Michigan state and I think they brought it on themselves. They haven't been the most humble with this whole Nassar situation. You know, I mean, they've, they've uh, tried to deflect the blame, instead of just kind of owning it and trying to say, Hey, we screwed up and we will be better. But you know, it's just the way it is. And it's going to be interesting to see how Mel Tucker does. I think he'll recruit well, but I think the jury's still out on him as a head coach and we'll see, we'll see how he does.
1: Yeah, no, it's been crazy. All right. Last thing, Nebraska obviously left the big 12 and we're coming up on man, almost uh 10 years, but, um, how how is nebraska fit into the to the big 10 is that is that a natural fit how how's nebraska viewed
0: i think it's been a bit awkward for them you know I, I mean obviously when they left i know maybe they weren't it wasn't their glory days but i think i would i'm trying to remember back then i think they were still probably one of the better programs in that in that league and now you come in and you know you're arguably i mean at best, fifth in the Big Ten. I mean, you're behind Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and the way Michigan State had that run there. Now, the last couple of years from Michigan State were a little bit down, but they were probably having it on, your, on that side of the division. You know, Wisconsin, Iowa are both pretty good. I mean, you're struggling if you're Nebraska to be in the top half. I think it's kind of hurt their recruiting because I think, obviously, when you're in the, in that, when in the, in the Big 12 and they're playing schools like you guys and the other ones, Texas was a big recruiting area for them, and, and they could sell, hey, you're going to be playing you know, down here. Now that I think that's maybe hurt them a little bit. Uh their West Coast recruiting, I think they were that was a big part of their, their recruiting cell. So I think it's just, you know, I I don't think I'm not I don't think they should give up on Scott Frost, but it's it obviously has not gone well so far. He hasn't been the savior, I think everybody thought. They have great I was there first time this past fall for a game Indiana One out there. Um actually to get bowl eligible and it was a fantastic atmosphere. The place was packed, uh the the stadium's awesome. It was a great place to see a game and um, it lived up to what I thought it would be, but uh, they just haven't—they haven't made the impact I think people thought they would when they came in. And you know, I'm sure it's helped with the Big Ten Network because in Nebraska, basically uh, the Cornhuskers are all everybody's got there. There's no pro teams, so I'm sure most of the people there have BTN, and that's what the Big Ten Network was, our Big Ten's conference is looking for. But they haven't had the impact on the field that that people are expecting. It's still. There's still time to do that, but it's you know right now they they just seem to be spinning their wheels. They it's kind of like Indiana basketball. They've made some kind of questionable hires with their coaches, and it just hasn't worked out. And it's kind of taken them they've taken a step back, and now they're going to have to see if they can get back to where they were. If they do, it'll obviously be big for the conference.
1: Well, if you know of any schools that are uh, interested in Shaka Smart, let let Texas know. They yeah, won. I.
0: you got the same problem up here. Uh, Archie Miller hasn't worked out so far either. It's not been, you know. And I'm shocked by Shaka Smart. I really thought he would do do well down there. That 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 surprises me. I thought he would do a lot better. And it just sometimes guys are a bad fit. Rich Rod Rodriguez was a pretty good coach. He went to Michigan. It was a bad fit. Sometimes guys are just a bad fit at places. Um, and you know, but uh, I, you know, Texas has obviously got the resources to get a great basketball coach. I, I, their facility looks nice. You know, when I watch games, it seems like people are interested. So I think they'll be able to get somebody good if they move on from Shock and Smart. But that one definitely did surprise me.
1: Yeah, they've got it. They're opening a $388 million basketball arena in, uh, in two years. So they'll have to get it. Yeah, and
0: you got, man, you got Matthew McConaughey wearing <laughs> the orange suit. I mean, you, you can't beat that, you know, L-I-B-I-N.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah, he's the, uh, the minister of culture. He's proclaimed Real himself. Real quick story
0: on Mark Hagan. Before, well, right before he left, I had lunch with him at Bloomington and we had a, had a bite to eat and a beer. And he said, all his wife and daughters want to know is when they can meet Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> so <that's laughs> well, they will. They, know. they just want to, they want to meet him because that's what they think. Because, you know, obviously he's a big Texas fan. He's around the program. That's all they want to know is when they can meet Matthew McConaughey. So I think he's going to try to hook him up and see if he can uh, introduce him.
1: Oh yeah. The, that day is coming for sure. <laughs> Matt, uh, Matt Weaver from pigs.com. Really, really appreciate the time, man. Great stuff.
0: Okay. Take care guys.
3: Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Thanks so much to Matt Weaver of pigs.com for joining us and giving us kind of a behind the scenes look into Mark Hagan, you know, knowing that he and uh, Coach Hagen were close during uh, the time that he was at Indiana. And Chip, you know, one thing I thought that was kind of interesting to hear was how the family aspect kind of played a significant role in Hagen accepting the Texas job. You know, his family has been in College Station ever since he left to go to Indiana. So he has been having to, you know, kind of split yeah, time. Twenty
1: sixteen.
2: Yeah, I think coaches' wives and families just don't get enough credit a lot of times. Now I know there are some that probably are not would not be okay with that situation happening. You know, with a him moving to a different state and leaving um, his wife behind to kind of take care of the kids, the wives who are, who are really good with that and very supportive of it, you know, they deserve so much credit because they're kind of the unsung heroes of keeping things together. So these coaches can take these jobs.
1: No doubt. I mean, I thought it was very telling that both Mike Yersich and Chris Ash thanked their wives mm-hmm. uh, right off the top because they've been moving around a lot and yeah. it's very disruptive to the family and as we saw uh and heard from Matt Weaver Mark Hagen chose to well and it it obviously they have a daughter who was not feeling Bloomington Indiana and they they went back to college station so that the kids could have some con continuity and that's it's an unbelievable sacrifice when you think about it from 2016 to 2020 yeah that that they were not living in the same place so no question i thought that was very telling mark hagan motivated to to get back down to the state of texas and austin where he's only an hour and a half drive away right and so they'll they'll see each other much more kudos and credit to mark hagan's wife for for making that work while while they've tried to you know, keep Mark Hagen's career going. Coaching is a really, really difficult um, profession because it's. Yeah. Look at some of these guys' resumes, and it's, you know, twenty different places in, in twenty years. Mm-hmm. It seems, yep. but, um, no, that was good. It was a good conversation, and and you can tell Matt Weaver has a really close relationship. You, t- you know, hear him how they went went out for a beer before. Yeah. Mark left Bloomington, so you know. You're getting it straight from the scoop. All right, so I asked Hagan about his, you know, how well do you know Oscar Giles? I mean, you're going to be working with Oscar Giles, uh, sharing duties, coaching on the, on the defensive line, and here's what Mark Hagan had to say
3: he's the best you know i mean I, I met him i met him on the recruiting trail uh, years ago our past you know cross every now and then And you know, when i get down here to the state of texas and recruit uh unbelievable person a uh, great human being and, and that's always the, the number one starting point because again football you don't have success as a team if you do not build those relationships and so um that's where it starts you build them in recruiting but then Goes over, you know, into your players that you have on the team, and and it's that one-on-one relationship that you have to to get guys to play hard. You know, if they don't trust you as a coach and you don't have that relationship, you know, are they are they really going to want to learn and, and and listen to you? So he's you know he's awesome, and you know, I can't wait to start working with him.
1: That's good stuff. You know, it look you got to have an open-mindedness and a willingness, and the the hard part is for Oscar right? I mean, he's the one who's having part of his, his defensive line duties taken away. Now he may welcome it. We haven't gotten a chance to talk to him yet. Of course he, Stan Drayton and Herb Hand are the only three holdover assistant coaches from Tom Herman's staff from last year. So we will, uh, we'll see it all in action in spring football starting March 24th spring game, April 25th. And, uh, and then we'll see how this coaching staff is meshing.
2: Right. Well, let's let's kind of transition. We kind of teased it earlier, Chip, but to Texas basketball. Now, um, to say the Longhorns are struggling would probably be an understatement. Just because it seems like what is happening on the court right now is what we've seen under Shaka Smart since he took over at Texas. I mean, there are some of these losses where you're just dumbfounded by how it could happen. You know, the most recent being this past weekend when uh, Texas faced off against Iowa State and ended up losing 81 to 52. Texas is now on a four game losing streak as Shaka Smart's seat continues to heat up. Like, let's not beat around the bush. I mean, this is kind of what's, ha- what's playing out right now. So one of our members, um, Chip, asked a question And it is, will Chris Del Conte keep Shaka smart until the end of the season, knowing the team has given up and with how embarrassing the loss to Iowa State was from Stutz, a Horns 24-7 member?
1: Yeah, and Stutz, uh, thanks for the question. And Chris Del Conte does not do irrational mid-season dismissals. So that will not happen. They could lose by fifty the rest of the season, and they—I'd be stunned if he dumps Shaka before the end of, uh, you know, the games are played. And and so, I think everybody's just going to have to ride this out, and and then, as Chris Del Conte told me at the town hall meeting, every coach gets evaluated at the end. Of the year, because really at this point, pulling the plug on Shaka smart, um, what are you doing to the players? I mean, look, if it's, if it's beyond hope, it's beyond hope. And Chris Del Conte is, is going to have to work behind the scenes to get his ducks in a row for whatever he's going to do. I mean, if he's going to have to go spend 30 million to get rid of Shaka smart and go hire a big-name coach, which he will because he's got to open that arena.
2: So with that said, um, from Chris Bennett, our, our man CV here, he asks, Chip, who are the top candidates to replace Shaka Smart? And I'm not saying she should be gone, but should Karen Aston be in trouble?
1: Well, I'll start with Karen first because this is going to be interesting, and I will address this in the eyes of Texas. I'll just say this. Her contract is up in August. So this this could uh this could end in a very interesting way and I'll I'll address it more in the in the eyes of Texas, but um you know Karen's had a lot more success than Shaka has. Now I know recently there's been some player defections and and Karen has has learned that Recruiting the top talent in the country sometimes can be hard to to get to play as a team and 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 so I'll get into it in the eyes, but um, as far as who are the top candidates to replace Shaka Smart, when you're opening a 388 million dollar arena, you've got to have someone who's who's going to be a proven product. I mean, point blank. I've I've gotten some questions um, from our our members here at Horns 24-7. Hey, what about North Texas's coach? Or what about this up and coming coach? I don't think you're going to see up and coming in this hire. You're going to see proven, which means Texas is going to have to pay a lot of money to bring in this coach. And the salary might come close to Tom Herman's. Uh, and that's the price of doing business. And Chris Del Conte makes no bones about it. He got some tough questions at the town hall meeting about why is Eddie Reese only making this? Why is the tennis coach only making that? And he said, those salaries are what the market dictates for that sport. Right. If you look and compare, they're in the top uh, salaries in, in their sport, men's swimming and diving or men's tennis. Men's basketball is now to the point where the high-end coaches are making 5 million, making 5 million and change. And as I said, when you're opening a 388 million dollar basketball arena most likely in January of 22, you're going to have to bring in someone who's proven. Um, I mean to me the top names you have to start with Chris Beard. You you have at Texas Tech. He's a UT grad. Um he's He's proven it. He's turned Texas Tech into a monster. They've got a Final Four banner in their, in their gym. If you can weaken an opponent in the Big 12 and hire the best coach, you've just nailed a twofer. Oh, yeah. yeah um,
2: struck Wadry there.
1: And I think Kim Mulkey should be under consideration. I mean, I'm not kidding. I think the fact that she's won three national championships – um, you'd give her the opportunity to become the first female head coach in the men's game. I think she's one of the few who's uniquely suited to handle it because she's just that tough and she's just that country, um, mm-hmm. and salty in everything else. Um, I'm, I'm not kidding. I would put Kim Mulkey on the list. Uh, Billy Donovan, who you know was won two national championships at Florida before going to the NBA the Oklahoma City Thunder and he's got an interesting team right now but the long-term prospects of Oklahoma City are not good I mean players are leaving there they're not coming there and and so I think you have to put Billy Donovan on that list as well and you know I think there's there's three names right there that Give you a good, a good range. I mean, you can talk about trying to go hire Jay Wright at Villanova or or Tony Bennett at Virginia. They just beat Texas Tech in the national championship game, and those two names were on the list when Steve Patterson hired Shaka Smart. So, uh, go ahead, throw those names in there as well.
2: Yeah, and I think you're right about the proven, you know, kind of coach at this point because while Shaka Smart did good things when he was at VCU, it's a different ball game when you're playing at VCU than when you're playing at Texas. And I do think that even from the football side of things, you know, if for some reason, Tom Herman does not work out at Texas, Texas can't afford to go for the possibly up and coming not so well proven head coach again, because they kind of did that with Charlie Strong. Charlie Strong was probably more proven than Tom Herman, let's be honest about it, just because he had more experience as a head coach. And, you know, one, you know, he coached under Urban Meyer at Florida when Florida was just winning national championships and everything. So I do think that Texas has kind of done that for both sports now, and they've done it back to back with football. And if for some reason Tom Herman doesn't work out, another up and coming coach, I think will be a disaster. You know, I think that Texas and same thing for basketball at this point, Go for the ones who have proven themselves, you fired Rick Barnes for Shaka Smart. Rick Barnes is now you know he has done pretty well since he was hired at Tennessee. Texas has gotten worse. The difference yeah. between those two is experience
1: right and it and I've said it a million times. Texas is a different place
2: mm-hmm. the
1: play, the i mean we talked about we joked about it with del Conte on the podcast, the flagship podcast last week, and if you miss that one you've got to go back and listen to it because he talked about how Texas is Goliath and and at the town hall meeting and and the only people who like Goliath are other Goliaths I mean you don't get to be David you don't get to be the underdog you're you're the team that's expected to win every time and you have to recruit players who can handle that pressure and you have to recruit coaches who embrace and know how to handle that because if what happens at Texas is you have success, it changes you.
2: Uh-huh. Whether you've
1: had experience. I mean, I think if you talk to Tom Herman after the 10-win season, it, it change, you, now you've got to sustain it. And if you, if you don't, things start to get off the rails. You start to press. Your players start to press, and things go south. David Pierce, same thing. Got to Omaha a year ahead of time last year. Injuries, everything fell apart. People wanted him fired. I mean, it's like amazing. It's like, ridiculous. Do you remember? He yeah. took it to Omaha when no one expected that, and now you want him fired. Come on.
2: The expectations, it, I think, sometimes for the fan base is absolutely, absurdly ridiculous.
1: Right. All right. And no question. And And look, they're impatient because football and basketball have not been delivering. And that is a right. bad effect. It has a bad trickle-down effect for the other sports. Tom Penders always used to say, as long as football's doing well, I'm golden. Yeah. Football stinks. I better be damn good. You know, my team better damn good because fans move on. They're they're like, I'm done with football. How are we doing about? Oh, God, I'm done with basketball. How are we doing in softball? Okay, good. I'm good. Baseball. Good. All right. We got that (laughs) And golf and tennis and all these other teams that are expected to contend for a national title track and swimming. So Texas doing okay, but Texas Longhorns nation is waiting for football to get back in into that uh first decade of the 2000s when they were contending for Big 12 and national titles or at least in that mix every year.
2: Yeah, and it's funny if you go back it's like the trickle down effect. I almost wonder, you know, and this is silly obviously I know a lot of it has to do with the coaching and the talent that they had on both teams, but it's funny to see that when the Texas football program was doing well Basketball was making it well into the NCAA tournament. Baseball was going to Omaha or at least Super Regionals on a consistent basis, winning College World Series. I mean, Texas fans were spoiled for the opening part of the 2000s because, yeah, it's like the big three. The big three sports were crushing it and not just, you know, not just winning, but winning big and that hasn't happened really in any of the three. You know, they got Texas got rid of three legendary coaches in Augie Grito, Mac Brown, and Rick Barnes. And since then, it's just been kind of the same story over and over again, I think, that the Texas fan base, I mean, they have a right to be upset but I do think sometimes when I hear, I mean, when I was hearing people say David Pierce should be fired last season, I wanted to be like, "Are you out of your damn mind? Like, are you I, out of your damn mind? <laughs> you know, right. it's like."
1: Well, and that's another reason to go back and listen to the Del Conte interview uh, in last episode uh, in our last episode of the flagship podcast because he he'll tell you point blank where things are with Tom Herman. So make sure you go check that out. Um, Taylor, great stuff as always, my friend. Uh, thanks to Matt Weaver of our Indiana 247 site, com for his breakdown of Mark Hagen. And uh, make sure, if you're not a member of Horns 24-7, that you're taking advantage of, of some of these... Uh, special offers that we have right now but uh, thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of the flagship podcast let's do it again next week taylor you're the best and you know everybody have a great week